Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Wood Talk. For woodworkers, by woodworkers. Now here are three guys who take big pieces of wood and make them smaller. Mark, Matt, and Shannon. All right, it's Wood Talk number 244 for May 18th, 2015. On today's show, we're talking about panel movement in a grill stand, concerns over basement humidity, and cutting compound angle tenons. Uh, but before we get to all that, let's talk about our sponsor. We've got one here from Bruso Hardware. Bruso provides high-quality American-made woodworking hardware for your next project. As a special discount for new customers, use coupon code WT2015 for 10% off orders at bruso.com. And we'd also like to thank a few special folks who sent us either a one-time donation or a recurring donation, uh, specifically Matthew Scranton, Colin Frame, Alex Corsi, Alston Couch, and Mariano Camp. So they basically went to woodtalkshow.com. They looked over in the right-hand column and they saw those links there and sent us a few bucks. So we appreciate that kind of support. So thank you so They're much. They're basically my best friends. Yep. This week. For the week. Right. Yes. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> not, yeah. Not for you, if your birthday falls anytime during this week, I will make sure to acknowledge it. I might not send you anything, but I'll acknowledge <laughs> it in my head. There you go. Uh, and also we have our giveaway going on at the, what is it? I just lost the URL, woodtalkshow.com slash giveaway, and we're a little behind on this one, and we kind of dropped the ball with this month. So uh, what we're just going to... last week. I know, and that's the problem. And uh, we're going to keep pushing it off until we'll basically make it next month. So we're taking a month off from this giveaway. (laughs) Uh, We're going to simplify things to make sure that it doesn't happen and it's a little bit more um, consistent from week to week after this point. Basically, until the show intern gives birth. Yeah, that's what it comes down to, doesn't it? And probably not not much going on after that for a while either, but we'll do the best we can. What you mean it takes you're not done once after the after the birth? Yeah, that's that's just like this is the she calm said, before the storm. You're done. Take a <laughs> yeah. vacation. Yeah, that'd be so awesome. Wouldn't it wouldn't it be awesome? Yeah. So anyway, uh what are we in May? So June, look for the new giveaway over there. Uh and I think we've got Shannon, you've got something that you put up and a t shirt. Uh so it's gonna be a good one. And I think we can jump into what's on the bench right now. For me, I'm still working on the rocker, of course. I'm moving forward with a ton of editing, trying to... I've just got so much footage to edit. Uh, it's just taken forever. And I worked on the headrest, and I'm just loving the the project itself. It's the editing that's kind of the, the boring part of the process. Uh, so the headrest is done, got that pre-shaped, screwed into the legs, and the thing kind of looks like a chair now, which is always exciting. Nice. Yeah, so uh, the other thing that what, happened... What's it supposed to be? Uh, a chair. Oh, oh. so well, I'm good. Fun. I'm good. In that I, case, I, you're, I, you're heading in the right direction. I hit my I target. Continue. <laughs> yeah, so it's uh, it's it's exciting, and this is one of those projects that 
the parallel clamps, which are like the, I have the jet models. Those are the ones that I use on just about anything and everything that comes through the shop, but they do have that big square blocky head on them, which for certain types of projects may not be ideal, especially ones that aren't square and straight. So things like chairs really do benefit from F style clamps because you can kind of get the very thin head into where it needs to go. You can hold it with one hand and tighten the other hand down. So if you're trying to hold arms to a uh, back leg or something like that and applying pressure in kind of awkward curved surfaces, those parallel clamps just don't work that well. So I finally broke down and bought some of the longer length F-style Bessie clamps in one of those kits from Amazon. And uh, I used Matt's link at Matt's Basement Workshop to send a couple bucks his way. That, yeah, and when I went in and I looked and I'm like, oh my lord, somebody loves me. And then your email came in and I'm like, hmm. Well, maybe I can have him re- reverse that. What's he want? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, now what does he want? Yeah, what's he after? <laughs> You're always emailing me. Hey, you know what? By the way, uh, I don't know if people know this. It's probably something worth repeating. Each one of us, I believe, advertises our Amazon link. I, I know Matt does. I do. Shannon, do you have one? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So basically, if you want to ever shop at Amazon.com and support your fellow woodworkers, go to their website. Chances are there's a link somewhere there that says shop at Amazon, use our link. And it doesn't cost you anything more, but you wind up buying the same stuff you were buying anyway, but a small percentage. Usually it's somewhere between like six and 8%, depending on how much they sell uh, of your purchase will go to that person which is kind of a really cool way. So if there's someone you really just want to support all the time, go ahead and bookmark their link and use that to get to Amazon and do your shopping. And it's uh, just kind of a great passive way to, to help out your favorite woodworkers. You know, and, and to save everybody time, at my link, I actually have a link to everybody else's link. So if you link on mine, uh, there should be a drop-down menu that will show everybody else's. But if it doesn't, don't worry about it. Just let me know, and I'll try and make sure that it gets routed to them. Okay. You know what I always wondered is <laughs> when I do that, um, because I do... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to just blow Matt's little funny joke out of the way. It was hilarious. Um, it really wasn't that good. Thank you for saving me. <laughs> w- whenever I click on one of those affiliate links, of course, I land on Amazon and my cookies remember me at Amazon because I'm a Prime member. I always wonder if that trumps it. And if Amazon's like, yeah, whatever, you didn't come to us via Matt's Basement Workshop. You're already a Prime member, so we're just going to ignore that. It so works for me. Why don't you try this, Shannon? Um, <laughs> go buy a big screen TV. TV. <laughs> since you need, yeah, since you need to order a new car and car parts, why don't you go ahead and use my link right now? In fact, I'm going to send it to you. Okay. Yeah, that's a good idea. Uh, but no, it does work. I tried that with Matt's. I'm Prime as well. So I was already logged in and you know doing my usual thing. Went to Matt's site, clicked his link, went and bought the clamps, and then told him about it and said just make sure it went through, and it did. So we should be okay with that. Absolutely. What's what's the throat on those clamps? Because I'm actually in the market for a few more myself. They're not significant. You know, maybe four inches. I don't know the exact number. Didn't you have some that had like really long reach to them? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And they're in the smaller scale. So they're maybe no longer in in terms of like total opening size for the bar, uh, no longer than 12 inches. But they've got incredible um, throat depth on them. That's just fantastic Mm -hmm. for certain applications. Uh, but these are just that you don't need a whole lot. It's just something to span from the front of a chair to the back of a chair and just kind of wiggle it into position and be able to tighten it down and not have, you know, not have the necessity for four hands to get the job done. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it's all good. I, I ran into a situation recently where I suddenly didn't have enough clamps. Oh, honestly, what? it's been a long time since I've had that problem. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm with you. I really like I like the parallel clamps. They're great for panel glue ups and like case glue ups and things. But they're they're just kind of big and bulky for mm-hmm. the smaller things, and they definitely don't have the the ball joint on the pad to allow it to adapt to different surfaces. Yeah, and that's so, huge. And I just I have not very many of those. I have more of the parallel clamps, and it's kind of stupid because they're so much more expensive than the typical <laughs> F style clamp. Yeah. Why don't I have more of those? Yeah, they are. Well, and that's the thing. It just depends on what what type of work you're doing. And now that I'm doing this chair, it's like, oh, yeah, this is something I did at like the William Ng School. And I was using the heck out of his F-style clamps. And I was just like, wow, I really miss having those. I need to I need to get me some. So yeah. So this month is the the month of use Matt's affiliate code. There you go. Everyone listening right now, go buy clamps on Amazon using Matt's affiliate code. Make Matt happy. Yes, 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 we should. Yes. Speaking of Matt, what's going on in your shop? 
well, now that this is happening, I'm getting myself all prepped for all new stuff from all that amazing affiliate link. <laughs> Get ready in. for a party. Here we go. Actually, the, the biggest problem I'm having right now is there are way too many projects to choose from that I want to get started on. So uh, the tall dresser is all wrapped up. I've got a few things that are kind of in the works right now. And it's like one of those things where I have a plethora of projects that I probably should start. But are they ones that I really want to? So I am kind of wrestling with this, what direction to go into next. Probably one for certain that I will be doing, and I think we'll have a little fun with this one, or it will end in divorce. I'm not sure which. (laughs) But uh, Sam right now wants to have... We've been doing like brunches with our friends because we're so hoity-toity. And we invite all of our friends over and we have a nice little brunch, which basically means that Sam gets lit on Sundays and then I have to make dinner, which works out for everybody apparently because (laughs) all I do is order pizza and we call it good. And then when she wakes up in the morning with her hangover on Monday, she has something at least to get her started from all the leftover pizza. Nice. So you see, win-win on this. But uh, she was thinking that she wants to uh, have a one of those long – kind of large farm tables, farm-style tables built for our enclosed back porch, and that's where we feed everybody. So we've been looking at it, and I happen to have from years ago from a project that she originally asked me to build, but we never got around to for whatever reason, uh, some of those pre-made legs that came from like Osborne Wood Products or something. They've been just taking up space. We found those in my shop under a huge pile of uh, of plywood. And I said, well, we've got these. Now, what else do you want to use? And we've got these old boards that I don't even know where they came from. But you ever have like boards out in either your shed or your garage that you just use them for all sorts of crappy work because they're crappy boards and they're there and they're perfect for using? Sure. Well, yeah. So so we've got a, a bunch of those. And uh, she's like, well, these are great because I want it to be really, quote unquote, rustic and beaten and everything else. I'm like, well, these are great because I've beaten the living daylights out of them. (laughs) So we're going to use those. And basically what it is is I'm going to do the joinery for the aprons to attach the table legs together and give the tabletop something to be attached to. I'm going to mill it and I'm going to start working on some of the joinery. But she's going to do the rest of it. So I'll, I'll get it almost kind of kit-like. In other words, it's all ready to go. She just has to do the rest of it. And she's even she, – it was her idea. She wants to film this and show people how fun it is. And I'm thinking this is going to be really interesting. So wait a second. <laughs> you've, got, you've got pre-made legs. Yep. You're going to do the joinery for the aprons to the legs, and the, yes. which is the means that you're going to attach the top. And she's doing the rest. What, what's left? Uh, well, we'll find out, won't we? <laughs> <laughs> like, what's what is left? This, maybe a little sanding, some painting. <laughs> uh, well, we'll have to see. Well, actually, uh, so I'm going to watch her attempt to uh, put all the joinery together, so that everything comes together and glue it. And I'm just I'm just getting the boards milled. She has to take care of the rest of it. Okay. So I'll get every. Uh, let's think like a matte version of IKEA. So all the parts are going to come. <laughs> you just need to assemble it, and then I'm going to film it. Matte IKEA. I like that. <laughs> Yeah, so we're going to – so Matt Kia, that's actually – maybe I should start a show called that. That would be pretty interesting. <laughs> so, yeah, so we're going to see how this goes. I, I, I think we're going to have fun with it because she, she definitely is looking forward to it. But there is that part of me that's just like, I don't know. This is – either she's going to prove me wrong that it does take longer to build projects and she'll actually show that it doesn't <laughs> or, or <laughs> I'll finally prove that it really does take a while to build stuff. So I'm, I'm kind of keeping my fingers crossed that it goes in my direction, but somehow she always has a way of proving me wrong. I guess it's just because she's my wife. Wives. Wives. Oh, they're always doing stuff like that. Yeah. Nice. So I think that's that's going to be the next one. And then I've got a cool. few other things that I ended up taking on a, a client build that I tried my hardest to say no to but when it's one of your big bosses and they're really insisting that you need to make something for them um it's hard to say no yeah no doubt so anyways cool that's what i've been going now shannon we're gonna move on to you and i know you've got the same thing going on here that i do with all that pollen my pollen's green your pollen is yellow and i see that apparently you've decided to go on the uh offense and start taking (laughs) the trees out is that what's going on here yeah, it's not really thinking ahead. If you guys remember last week, I didn't have much to report because I like was dying in bed. Mm-hmm. What I thought was the flu was just really, really bad hay fever. I guess I'm getting old and I'm developing <laughs> developing allergies, so I'm going to be that like sniffly nose glasses wearing kid. <laughs> but despite that, um, 
I just I, I had been cooped up and you know it sealed up the house and turned on the AC to try to kill some of the the pollen that's in the air. But despite that, I decided to go outside this weekend because we had a little bit of rain and kind of knocked down some of it. And I spent uh, I spent the weekend playing with an axe and a bungee lathe and stuff off my firewood pile. Just nice to get out and get some fresh air. So I played with a bungee lathe all weekend and made absolutely nothing but a bunch of things round. Nice. So basically what I'm hearing is your decision is what doesn't kill me makes me stronger. Uh, I'm dead. <laughs> Pretty much. <Okay. laughs> what doesn't kill me makes me sniffle and sneeze later on in the afternoon and lowers my speaking voice by about a full step. So, yeah. Sweet. Good. I need to get yeah. you on the show when that happens. Yeah. Oh, yeah. For the, for the evening edition of Wood Talk. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right. Well, it sounds good. Let's move into what's new. Got a couple of links to share with you. This one is... Boy, who sent this to me? I don't remember. I think it was just someone shared on Facebook. But it's a little coopered cedar cup. And basically, it's just a dude going at it with uh, hand tools. And he's uh, cutting these little tapered pieces up and kind of beveling the edges. And it's really, you know, small pieces. Very, very tiny pieces. He's got a whole little collection of them. And this is clearly something that this person makes a lot of. So there's a lot of very specific tools and, you know, jiggery that's used to kind of keep everything uh, at the proper size and the way it needs to be. But it's one of those mesmerizing videos, just watching a Asian woodworker sitting on the floor with his feet in the way. And like the, that way of woodworking is just so interesting to me. I would never do it, but I find it very fun to watch. Um, the, the funny thing about this, and lots of people made comments about it, it's a very serene, calm sort of video that you just get, you get sucked into as you're watching this guy create uh, something so humble as a, a cup. But out of nowhere, there's a part where he needs to make the bottom that slides in, and he's using hand tools for all of this. And just out of nowhere, you just hear, and he's got a bandsaw. And and there's nothing wrong with a bandsaw, uh, we all know. Um, But it was just so out of place in that video that it really was jolting, because you get into this calm, serene mindset watching this person make this cup. (laughs) And suddenly, out of nowhere, there's this, uh, you know, one horsepower bandsaw just chugging away. Um, but he, you know, he got the job done fast and I guess that's what counts. <laughs> but really fun, <laughs> well, fun video. Got to watch it. Well, at least it's not like the video where they had the, uh, what was it? The hand plane to the junk. <laughs> so <laughs> when you're describing them sitting there, I'm like, oh, well, it could right, be worse yeah. be a bandsaw to the junk. Yeah. That's the problem with the, the, the pull stroke instead of the push stroke <laughs> right. when you're working on the floor between your legs. Uh, that was right. a classic wood talk episode plane towards the nuts. I believe is what yeah. we called that one, one of our highest downloaded <laughs> might be just yes. because of the title. <laughs> exactly. Cool. All right. Well, hey, we had another one coming here. This is a video that came in, and I'm not sure if you guys, if any of you have seen this. I, I, I think one or two people, maybe on Facebook or something, have have mentioned this. I, I was surprised that it hasn't gotten more uh, attention than it has, and I'm being completely <laughs> facetious here. Yeah. Uh, this came in from Andrew, and he says, although it's blatant self promotion, is my invention cool enough to get a mention on the show? Well, Andrew, I'm going to say that because I'm mentioning it right now, uh, cool or not, it is definitely getting a mention on the show because it's been making its way around the internets uh, since about the same time that you sent us this link. So this is a – got to go check it out. It's a video of Andrew who kind of came up with a brand new – well, one, it's it's a tool in which he took a dado blade – and attached another blade that has a specialized grind on it. And more or less, he's making a new or demonstrating a new way to possibly make uh, plywood drawers and using just a single blade. Now, it takes a couple of passes, and he does a really good job of explaining how he uses the tool. But once he makes these passes with the specialized blade, he ends up just folding the, uh, the plywood almost kind of I won't say origami style, but that's the only thing that's coming to my head right now. But he folds this and suddenly has the whole thing fold in on itself and creates a drawer out of it. So really, really neat. Um, I'm not sure what size brake cartridge I would need for my saw stop if I were to take advantage (laughs) of this. Uh, But if you have not seen this video, um, I would say stop the show. Go check it out. But why don't you listen to the whole show? Maybe listen again and then go check it out. It's, It's a pretty neat tool. 
once in a while, there's a video that comes along that we are, we usually hear from the person like who made the video. They send us an email. Hey, check this out. And then, you know, we'll, we'll put it out on Facebook. And then over the course of the next two weeks, it's just a never ending uh, flood of people going, Hey, have you seen this? Hey, check it out. Hey, have you seen this? Hey, check it out. Um, it's hilarious almost to watch how, when something like this goes viral and good for Andrew. I mean, that's fantastic. There are so many people sharing this video, but at this point, and it's only been what, you know, three or four days mm-hmm. <laughs> at this point, it's right. like, Oh my God, enough. It's, right. it's you know. awesome. I know it's awesome. Okay. Thank you. You know, what's interesting about this though, is there's a lot of people like in various comments, wherever it's been posted saying, Oh, this is like perfect for Kickstarter or some sort of crowdsource campaign. And I, cause I, in his, in his original video, it's kind of like, if you know any manufacturers, let them know. And I'd be interested in like licensing it to them and they can produce it. And everybody's saying, no, 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 crowdsource it. And I think what people forget about when it comes to crowdsourcing is all crowdsourcing does is give you the money. Then you have to go and like manufacture it yourself and find a machine shop that can do all this work for you. And then they ship you the parts and then you have to put them in boxes and then you have to ship them out to people. And basically you have to do all that stuff yourself. Um, Well, and chances are he's got a whole new business opportunity and he needs the entire business to be in place to make that happen. Right. And I just, I I sometimes wonder if people realize there's a hell of a lot that goes into that stuff. More than just cash. (laughs) Right. You know, and and unless you're really prepared for this to be your business now and forever into the future, because what are you going to do saying I'm not make this anymore? And, uh, you know, that may or may not work because the internet is timeless, right? (laughs) You know, this, and one thing that we know is that things come back around. Yes. The Moroccan foot turned lathe is a perfect example. <laughs> or or what's the table, like the expanding like sunburst table that uh, I just saw that the other day. <laughs> yeah, so my god, it's been around don't for like ten again. years. Uh what's his name? I can't remember the guy's name, but he does all hand tool work on uh YouTube. Seems like a nice guy. Chris Chop Chop with Chris or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Uh his video where he made the table for his wife has been around a gazillion times. Oh, yeah, yeah, it keeps coming back around. Yeah. So Andrew may go through his Kickstarter thing and he may produce, you know, his thousand and dado blades and you know then it's quiet for a while then six years from now it goes viral again (laughs) you know and it's one of those things where sometimes it's just just get the licensing fee and move on you know let freud or forest or somebody deal with having to maintain the ability to manufacture this thing off into the future If, if there's anything i learned from mr wonderful on shark tank it's that you just go for the licensing (laughs) <laughs> there you go. Well, you know, I think he he mentioned uh, Andrew mentioned in the video. I might be wrong that uh, to have this manufactured, it sounded like it took a little while for him one to find a uh, manufacturer to do it for him, a, a small shop to actually create it for him. Uh, so, if he were to be doing this, it sounds like he would really need to uh, get closer with that person so that they would uh, push him to the front of whatever it is that they're working on. Right. Right. I mean, it all comes down to volume. I mean, probably the reason he had trouble finding is because he only needed one, you know? Yeah, exactly. There's lots of shops out there that would happily produce 7,000 of them. Remember like in Batman when they had to make the ears for the (laughs) the cowl and, you know, Alfred had to order like 10,000 of them? (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) Nice. All right, Shannon, you're next. All right. This is actually, this is a similar situation to Andrew. This came to me directly from the the manufacturer. There's a company called Featherwood Frames out in Ohio somewhere, and they are making wooden sunglasses, uh, wooden frames for sunglasses. Very cool. Not exactly a you know brand spanking new idea. I've seen it around a couple times. But what's interesting is this company has kind of taken the next step from one-off custom work to mass production using nothing but a bicycle-powered lathe um, what? hooked up to a duplicator that is geared in such a way. He's taken one of those like old exercise bikes with a really, really heavy flywheel that's like in the fan case. Mm-hmm. So when you pedal it, it like blows air at you. Um, and uh, the gearing on it, they've essentially hooked it up to a router duplicator that's running at normal router speeds, like 25,000 RPMs. Um, and they've they've created this really cool setup to go in and with the duplicator create several different shapes of sunglasses frames, and you know it's these guys have just dedicated their their ideal to not um, creating a, a manufacturing 
production that's going to use a whole bunch of energy and kind of keep their whatever. They never say carbon footprint or anything like that, but that's the general idea, trying to keep this very small. Um, And I just think it's awesome. Here's somebody that's taken a a pedal-powered idea and adapted it to a modern manufacturing process, and they're churning out sunglasses. So uh, featherwoodframes.com is their website, but they also have uh, a YouTube video that actually shows this router in action. It's pretty cool. I like it a lot. Very uh, Gilligan's Island of them. Very much so, yeah. And they joke about <laughs> we want to like make a pedal power computer. And yeah. They're kind of joking, but you can see at the same time they're like kind of serious. <laughs> yeah, there's <laughs> an idea here. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> so nice. yeah, it's it's cool because it's not it's not like super Neanderthal. I'm embracing Rubo history type stuff. These are just two guys that didn't want to deal with like running electrical lines. And yeah. basically came up with this thing. Human-powered cool. power tools. Yeah. Hey, if it doesn't involve uh, coconuts, Marianne, or ginger, I'm just, I don't know. I, I'm not that interested. <laughs> I'm out. I'm out of it. Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, Bob Lang, you might have heard of him, formerly of Popular Woodworking, formerly of 360 Woodworking, presently of his own stuff. Uh, he sent us a link to his uh, his website's readwatchdo.com. You can go there and get the latest on this, but uh, his SketchUp tutorial. He basically has a nice PDF multimedia package um, that he refers to as Woodworker's Guide to SketchUp. Well, SketchUp is one of those things that constantly changes and requires updating. So uh, the guides to these things require updating. And he sent us uh, some information on it. You might want to go check it out. Um, we'll put the link in the show notes to the, the post on uh, the new revised edition and what you can expect from it. But if you're interested in SketchUp, you haven't really uh, found a good tutorial that's uh, based on woodworking elements, which is a little bit different than what you might find just kind of generically out there in the world. Um, this is definitely something you want to check out. I went through his first one early on with a fine tooth comb and I, I was a SketchUp master by the end of it. But five days later, I forgot it all. <laughs> yeah. So well, that, there were that, some that, great, great <laughs> tips in that first one about making dovetails that I have not used since. Yeah. And if you, that's the thing with these SketchUp like shortcuts and all these little tricks and stuff, if you don't practice it and actually put it into to work and use it all the time, you will forget it. Yeah, uh, so you want to have this so file true. on hand because it's, it's very handy, but um, I'm probably going to dig into it a little bit just so I can give a maybe revise. I believe I did a review on this a while ago, so maybe I'll revise that. Uh, but you definitely want to check it out. It's a good resource. Absolutely. Well, hey, we have one more link in here, and this just came in from Kevin. In fact, I think this might have come in today before we started recording. It says Kevin says, don't know if you've ever seen this, but it's a beautifully shot 40-minute short of a craftsman building a piece of furniture, and it goes from picking out the boards to the finished piece, and it's all with hand tools. The cinematography and his skills are absolutely superb, and this is over at Vimeo. Now, as we were recording the earlier part of this, as basically as you guys were talking, I was kind of watching this. It is in Spanish. It's uh, Un Trebejo Feliz, and uh, he doesn't really talk in this, apparently. Uh, I haven't, I've had it on mute most of the time, but I haven't seen his lips move. Uh, so maybe there's a voiceover, but the work is absolutely gorgeous. Again, it's all uh, hand tools, and boo. I haven't gotten to the end where he's seeing what – we haven't seen what he's built yet. I know, boo, because I think there was actually a part in there. Maybe if he was – if I was reading his lips right, he's like, hand tool school, Shannon Rogers, and then <laughs> moved on. That's where I learned everything. <laughs> <laughs> so, but uh, the cinematography on this is absolutely gorgeous, and it, it, there's a couple of serene moments – that I was like watching him do something, and I'm just like, I'm so happy. No surprise bandsaws in the mix. <laughs> not yet. No, not yeah, not yeah. yet. But there's there's uh there was a Tormek in the back when he was doing some sharpening. Cheater. So, yeah. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but un trabajo feliz doesn't that mean happy work? Yes, that's what I was gonna go with. Yeah, feliz Navidad. Un trabajo. See, I'm p- piecing together my my bad Spanish. Police Navidad. No, I always told my kids it's police nabbed your dad, and that's probably why they kept getting thrown out of out of choir during the Christmas songs. Oh, that's what happened to my dad. Okay, now I understand. Uh, all right, let's move into our poll of the week. That's from our good buddy Tom Iovino at Tom'sWorkbench.com. And let's see what I was distracting. I think there's someone at my door. Jeez, I just had a puppy that. run past my window. There's so many things to be distracted by. <laughs> Jeez. All right. Uh, so he asked a question last week. Uh, how do you fund? Thanks, Firefox. <laughs> Can anything else possibly interrupt the show today? <laughs> how do you fund your woodworking? 
And uh, here's the breakdown of the answers. 45% said household budget. 25% said put cash aside and pay for everything with that. And 12% said have a separate account, which I don't know. Is that like a business account or you just have another savings account or another checking account? To to hide the spending from you. That's the one that no one else knows about. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, 5% said charge it all, uh, which is a fairly low number, thankfully. I hate to say that that's kind of how I start started my my woodworking that's career. absolutely Excellent. how i started it yep and that's how i got into serious <laughs> and, debt and Just hopefully the, getting out of it yeah, yeah. <laughs> hopefully the person whose account i charged it to hasn't figured out that it was me <laughs> all right and uh next week's question if you want to go to the woodwhisper.com and look for it it's right on the home page uh the question that tom asks is how many blogs do you follow and uh, I think he's really referring to just blogs, like classic blogs, not necessarily YouTube channels, things along those lines. But um, how many of these do you follow? And uh, just kind of an interesting question. Now, with like a follow-up poll of how many do you stay current with? Well, that's kind of what he specifies in there, though. Oh, like, how you, many are you subscribed to in your feed reader and how many do you actually read? Yeah, not how many do you ignore each week? How many do you actually read on like a weekly basis? Um, you know, that's kind of interesting. Have you... Have you found that blogs have slowed down in terms of just either the ones that are there, their production has slowed down, or uh, new ones cropping up that that slowed down because things are so much more in favor of video these days? Yes. You know, yeah. Yes. Both. Yeah, me too. Both. I mean, yeah. even even my own writing has slowed down just because I yeah. don't want to put out stuff that you know isn't really helpful. Um, my blog went from being like the journal of what's on my mind to – tutorials um and i just i can't bring myself to put out i don't want to call it fluff because it's got such a negative connotation to it so i've really scaled back how much i post i mean there's still a a ton of value in written content if you actually are putting the time and thought into it and maybe you know take a few photos and and write sort of a magazine style article for the blog that that can be a lot of fun i find that to be a blast to do but in terms of like investment and what you're getting in return, most times as content producers, our time is actually better spent making video content because we, we, we can get more in return from it. Right. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Kind well, of that's one reason with uh, the Spoken Wood podcast. I, I recently was going back and thinking about maybe getting it back up and running again. And I was looking at some of my, my old favorites that I was turning to for content previously. And it's funny how you look at it and you're like, wow, that last post I did for them was like the last one they actually wrote. Holy cats. <laughs> you ended you know? the uh, <laughs> you ended their blog. Nice job. Exactly. <laughs> and we're never the same after that spoken wood show. Yeah, they're like, where did all this come from? <laughs> oh my gosh, the pressure of producing content. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's move into kickback. And what do we just have one here? Oh, yep. do we? Do we? Just so. one. Yeah, just and one. Uh, this actually came in from our website. So uh, don't forget, you can go to woodtalkshow.com and leave comments on this stuff, and uh, your comments could end up on the show like John Calloway's did. He says the rust prevention issue that we mentioned, I guess, a couple shows ago, he recommends the golden rod. It's something that Lee Valley sells, and we'll put the link in there for you. He says, I love, I love in Georgia, and I think he <laughs> meant I live in Georgia. Oh, it's, I love man. in Michigan. Uh, <laughs> but I love wherever I live. <laughs> generally speaking i lived on uh he says i lived on the coast most of my life until two years ago nothing works as good as this little thing does i have used literally every product all the woodworking sites carry uh, with the exception of the camphor i guess that's what the stuff shannon was talking about right i didn't like the idea of a coating on my planes the golden rod though it works period zero rust issues since i put it into the cabinet i keep my hand tools in and if you don't know what this is, it looks like a very like low-level heat element right? that essentially yeah. just drives moisture out of any space that it's contained in. It just oh, raises nice. the temperature above the dew point yeah. just enough. Just yeah. enough. So very, very yeah. subtle but clearly very effective. And it's pretty low profile too. I mean you got to kind of have it wired into the back of your cabinet. But Yeah, that's my only problem is you got to plug it in. you got to yeah. have an outlet somewhere. you got to have a hole in the cabinet. and It's a whole thing. Yeah, and then what if the tool's not in the cabinet? That's <laughs> yeah, what happens. Whole thing. Then what happens, John Calloway? You need Tell a gi- me. you need a giant golden rod <laughs> yeah. for the whole uh, for the whole shop, which we would yeah, call like sweat box. radiator it's or baseboard heating. Golden rod. I always keep thinking working. I always think of golden rod as being like a weed that I'm allergic to, so I don't want to have anything to do with it at all. Yeah, stay away from that. Uh, he continues on to say, for things like my bandsaw table that I need to protect, I use the CRC36 that Fine Woodworking gave a great test result to, um, and he has an Amazon link that we'll put in the show notes too. 
He says, I just spray the table down, let it sit like that, and when it comes time to use the bandsaw, I just wipe the table off and make my setup and then cut. Again, this stuff has not allowed even a tinge of surface rust to form on my Rikon table. Good deal. Good to know. Yeah, I mean, I I can see why some people, like, when you mention the stuff that kind of just goes into the air and, you know, you've got molecules of some schmutz collecting on all of the surfaces around, that just seems weird. Like, I'm sure it's probably very effective, but that means my hands are touching it and just very cautious about what my hands touch. Yeah, and then you pick Mm. your nose. Then I pick my nose, and then I get some weird, like, disease in my nose. I always make sure that I always uh, put uh, sanitizer on my hands first before I touch my nose. I've just gotten paranoid about that kind of a thing. But then sometimes I don't let the sanitizer dry fast enough, and then my nose burns from the alcohol. Uh, And you work in a lab, so you need to do that, too. Oh, my gosh, You should be doing that twice as much as I do. I always find patients in the hallways to open doors for me. Can you open that door for me? Thank you. <laughs> there you go. You might want to go wash your hands. Um, you know, one thing I think we should mention about the, just as a reminder to folks when it comes to the kickback, we get a lot of kickback that comes in oftentimes. As we've recently had, a number of people have said, you know, hey, I just binged listened to your show, uh, 200 episodes, and my ears hurt. But then they'll oftentimes offer us some sort of piece of kickback that is excellent, but it is unfortunately so untimely compared to what we've recently been talking about. It's not that we're ignoring you or think that your information isn't important. It's just that yeah, too we late. like to try and keep – yeah, we, we kind of want to keep things kind of semi-relevant because we go off on so many tangents that we figure at least the audience – when they send us information, it should be useful to everybody. And again, that's not that your information isn't useful. It's just not timely at the moment. Or just wait till we repeat ourselves a couple years later. Say, just yes. keep that kickback in the chamber because it'll come up again. <laughs> Eventually, right. we talk about everything more than once. And what's really fun is occasionally when Mark and Shannon in the past have read the same email because they forgot <laughs> to remove it. And then the best part is you wait to find out if the answer is the same. <laughs> yeah, that's a, someone, someone needs to hold us accountable for that crap. Yeah, uh, I need to talk to you about it as soon as you get done with this. <laughs> Okay. It today too. <laughs> I did, what did I seriously? Yeah. Well, the last time I looked in there, it is. We'll talk about it later. <laughs> no, I I removed it. Oh, did you? Okay. Good. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, what is going on? I wanted to chastise it's, you in it, public. That's why I waited. I blame my delete key. It's just not working properly. Uh, all right, let's move into our voicemail. We got one here concerning hinges. Greetings from the Tulip City, gentlemen. I'm feeling a little unhinged lately. I have a project coming up that's going to need hinges for doors on an entertainment center. They're approximately 14 inches by 24 inches. Oh, um, sorry, Shannon. Uh, Three-quarter by 14 <laughs> by 24. Hopefully I got the order right. Attaboy. The thing about just traditional you know, butt hinges that leave a reveal around but. the door, but then I ran across no mortise hinges, which would leave less of a reveal if I didn't mortise them in. And I just don't know. So I've also got some other small projects coming up because I'm running into uh, some Philippine mahogany. I'm going to be picking up some Philippine mahogany at an awesome price. And I want to make a spice box just because I guess at some point we all think we need to make one. And I've got some other small projects that are going to need lids and hinges and that type of thing. So I started looking at knife hinges, offset pivot knife, center pivot knife, quadrant, barrel. You know, you know what I'm saying. There's a lot of different choices. Can you help me out on what you guys do to decide on what types of hinges and you know, form, function, um, metal? All right, I cut him off here because he goes on on as a second question that we're not going to get into. Oh, good. Uh, okay. <laughs> More importantly, do we all feel the need to build a spice box? No, I no, okay, never felt that need. But I guess some people do. Um, so curiosity, uh, you guys are building something, a cabinet with a door. Um, do you have any particular set of requirements or guidelines that tells you, first of all, what type of hinge to use? Does um, anything come to mind as just a general rule of thumb for you? Or is it like whatever you feel like using? Well, like if it's a cabinet door, how is how do I want to mount it? You know, is it inset? Is it overlay? So like function is probably the first thing. Yeah, that's your first yeah. round of, of selection. But, you know, even right. within that, let's say, you know, like he's talking about if it's an inset door and you've got to reveal all the way around, you you still even then have quite a few options that you could toy with. Right. 
Well, and I, I guess that see for me, know. a lot of times it comes down to what do I feel like doing? You know, even right. if, if I've got <laughs> the install process, how easy is it to install? <laughs> yeah, if I want to do, yeah. if I'm like going to say, okay, let's do knife hinges because I think those are just you know tons of fun after the fact. <laughs> like when you look at it, and you go, yeah, knife hinges, those look great. Uh, but there may not necessarily be as fun to install. There's a, you know, they're a little bit more finicky. You have to be very careful about how you install them, but, um, still totally doable. Um, but I usually let like the project at a certain level, I say, yes, it deserves knife hinges or yes, at the very least, this deserves an inlaid butt hinge. Um, you know, very rarely will I do an overlay hinge unless the project is geared at a level that I don't think folks are going to want to do the mortising. I want to keep it at more of a, you know, introductory level. So a lot of times for me, it just comes down to picking the, the class of hinge that I think is appropriate for the project and then getting more specific from there. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, if it's something that I'm I'm reproducing, like there is absolutely the original. I'm looking at that. I want it to be 100% the original. I'll I'll absolutely go along with what I'm seeing for that type of project. If there's several examples out there and they're all tending to use the same type of, of hinge, I'll definitely go in that direction. Otherwise, it, it, it kind of comes down to that. What I how much work do I really feel like doing with this? Is it something that I could get away with? Like right now, my favorites tend to be those. Uh, European style adjustable hinges. I love those things They're because great. they really help me to dial in a, a really good reveal and kind of have them out of the way. But that's, I mean, if I can get away with those, I'll go with them. But if it needs to be something more specific to the original version of that project, if I'm replicating it, then quite obviously I'm going to go with the replicating ish. Yeah, see, and I, I really like hardware. Like, you know, the, prevailing style seems to be like when you're talking drawer pulls or whatever, they tend to be made out of wood or something like that. Um, I like the look of a little bit of metal on a lot of my projects. So a lot of times the hinges that I choose, um, I choose them because they're going to be a little bit visible. So I'll choose a hinge that maybe has a, has a finial, has a barrel that's exposed on it that gets mortised in place because it adds a little bit of a look to it. Um, it depending upon the style of the piece I'm making, I made a colonial corner cabinet a while back and i specifically chose rat tail hinges because of that cool look that they get to me the hardware can add to the character of the piece a little bit mm-hmm. um but when you're talking about you know hinges cabinet hinges certainly can be more visible for box hinges and things like that you know they're mostly hidden but for instance i'm building a blanket chest and I was looking really closely at the torsion hinges that Rockler carries. In fact, I even emailed Mark to ask about his experience with it. Yeah. And I specifically opted not to go that direction because they produce a gap. They're not mortisable. So um, a lid won't come perfectly flush to the top. And for kind of a fine blanket chest, I didn't want that gap in the back and have it tight in the front. Plus, I thought that might mess with um, the the half mortise lock up front. Are you saying my, you're saying my chest isn't fine. Yes. Yes, I am. <laughs> okay. I'll just check it. <laughs> your, your, your orange painted tool ch- toy chest was not fine. No, not no. that one. My green and green <laughs> chest. I've, I've got the, no, the torsion hinges there. Um, you know, I'll be honest with you. The, when I looked at those hinges too, I had the same reaction that they didn't feel like they really belonged on something of that caliber while mm-hmm. they're functionally awesome and in and of themselves, they're beautiful. They're a little yeah. too modern looking. Right. They were far too contemporary for the Pennsylvania's Southern Virginia blanket chest that I was building. Yeah. But at the same time, um, I, and it, the look of it was kind of nice and I got them, I ended up getting hinges from Horton because they had a really nice antique brass finish to them. But then I needed to stay for the lid since I wasn't going to go with torsion hinges to prevent it from slamming down. I needed to stay and I ended up going Brusso on that, which right. to me, Brusso is like totally contemporary looking. So there's a little bit of a contrast there, but at the same time, the function trumped anything else. Um, the, the vintage looking stays that uh, Horton had just, they, they took up too much space. Like they extended into the cabinet itself. Mm-hmm. So if you fill it full of blankets, you might have problems. Um, right. Whereas Brusso had this really cool, a full mortise stay that, frankly, once it's mortised in place, you're not going to see much of it. So the the clash in style won't make much of a big difference. So function trumped appearance in that particular instance. 
Yeah, and, I, and further into his voicemail, he asks about, you know, number of hinges and how do you know what size and things like that. There are some general guidelines, and I think the magazines are pretty good about publishing articles referencing things like that. So definitely go to both Fine Woodworking and Pop Woodworking and see if you could do, you know, dig into their archives. I'm guaranteeing you'll find at least one or two articles telling you about the basics of hinge installation, the rules of thumb in terms of width versus the material uh, thickness and uh, placement as well as the number per door of a particular size. Um, There's also a really good article that I found on Rockler's website, a little how-to thing about understanding hinges. We'll put a link in there for that if uh, you want to check that out. And it covers some of the basics, but also gives you an idea of all of the various types of hinges out there. Uh, And then you know what? When you're ready to buy, go to brusso.com. And use that code (laughs) and uh, you will get a good price on some fantastic hardware. Um, Honestly, just dig around their site because sometimes you you become aware of things that are available that you weren't even aware of before. Um, They've got some amazing, like uh, the quadrant hinges they have. I used in, uh, what was it? The humidor. First time installing those, not nearly as bad as you would think in terms of uh, complexity to install them. And just, man, when they were done, it was like a work of art on that box. Yeah. I mean, you really yeah. feel I good looked, about it. I looked really closely at those thinking I might use them. And instead of using a separate lid stay and yeah. hinge, I would go mm-hmm. like the quadrant hinge all in one. It's cool. Yeah, it's good stuff. Like it. All right, let's move into our emails. And I've got the first one here from Cliff. He says, I'm building a cart slash enclosure for my smoker out of Western Red Cedar. I'm going to use mortise and tenons for the first time ever, and I've decided to attach the sides with the same method. Except, I think that because it will all be glued together one inch thick, it would need to be a floating panel. Example, I'll be routing grooves in the 2x4 frame at the bottom and the top as well, then giving my panels tongues so that they can go in. Should I also use this method with the sides of the panel? Uh, example, tongue on four sides of the panel. Do I use glue? And how much extra breathing room should I give them for expansion? I'm in Illinois right now, and humidity is 97%, so it's possible they may never expand past where they currently are. He also mentioned in his uh, in his email he wants to bring Roberto on the show and find out why in the world anyone would move to Illinois. <laughs> so, Roberto, you have to let us know. I'm sure there was some personal reason that you don't want to share with us, but, <laughs> but we need to know. Cliff wants to know. Uh, all right. So a lot of, a lot of little things in that question. Basically, anytime you're doing this, you know, well, generally, generally any project, especially if you're going to be putting it outside, it's probably not a bad idea to hit up one of the ex- like wood expansion contraction calculators to kind of see what you're dealing with, what the maximum minimums are based on the wood species and the relative humidity that you're dealing with at the time. Uh, my favorite is Woodshop Widget, so that's all free. Go to woodshopwidget.com and look for, um, it's just this little embedded calculator there. So go to the wood movement one, plug in your wood. It's pretty self-explanatory once you get there. And you'll be able to see what kind of movement you can expect uh, based on the time of year. And you're right, if it's super humid and your wood is fairly well acclimated to that environment, chances are shrinkage is going to be the problem you'll be dealing with. But once again, this time next year, it's going to hit this same stage. You know, So you have to prepare for that. Um, so yeah, I think he's on the right track here. He's talking about rabbiting all the panels, allowing them to move. Um, key thing with this, when you rabbit your panels, make sure that rabbit is on the inside facing the inside so that on the outside it's a nice flush panel that no matter how much it shrinks or expands you never see any kind of gap that gap will be focused on the interior no one will ever see it Uh, and he asked about glue and uh, you can glue the panel you don't necessarily have to but if you don't want it to be you know bopping all around especially if it does wind up shrinking on you uh, you can glue it but you have to be careful to try to get your panel centered in your frames and put a little bit of glue, maybe on the center three to four inches at the most, leave everything else floating. Uh, the alternative to that is to use those little space dealy things, those little rubbery foam things that you could put. Um, what do they call them? Space balls. Space balls. Yeah, you space could put balls. you could put May those. The be with you. Yeah, or uh, or you can get any kind of foam. Like I've even used old foam mats that were just so beat up in the shop. I just have them sitting off in a corner and I sliced a little strip from that and put that and that kind of fills in the expansion gap, but allows you to have a place that also it's a material that compresses should the wood ever expand so far. And it helps the panel not wobble around too much, keeps it a little bit more stable. Um, But yeah, I think that's about it. Sweet. Awesome. Cool. Well, Hey, we have this question that came in from Kevin and Kevin says, I imagine this question is more for Matt. Oh, okay. Let's see what we have here. Convenient. 
Yeah, I like. I wonder why I picked this one. Hmm, <laughs> let me think about this because so few of them come in that say this is for Matt. Uh, anyways, I set up my workshop about two years ago, and like Matt, that's me. I live in Michigan. That's where I live, and work in my basement. So do I. Oh wow, we have a lot in common, Kevin. Besties. So, Yeah, we're besties, besties. (laughs) So anyways, I never worried about wood movement until recently. And now I wonder if the dehumidifier I turn on in the summer to keep humidity out is going to cause problems or is actually helpful when it comes to wood movement. Also, do you keep some sort of humidity sensor for tracking ambient humidity in your basement? Uh, Okay, so regarding the dehumidifier, I have actually the past few years been thinking about uh, running one in my own shop. And that's only because occasionally during the highest humidity months in Michigan, it does get a little musty, I think is the right word. A little, you know, kind of get a little smell when you go in the basement. But it is so cool down there uh, compared to the rest of the house when the air conditioning's not running that I, I can overlook that. And when I, when I walk away, it's not on me, so I'm not too worried about it. But regarding whether turning a dehumidifier on would have uh, a problem with the wood movement. It's how high you're going to turn that dehumidifier on. If you've got that thing cranking to the point where uh, just like in the winter when you have a forced air furnace on and everything seems to be bone dry, if your dehumidifier could actually do that, that's when you would have an issue with it. But if you can keep it at a comfortable level uh, then I don't see any issue at all with it. The only problem I could see is if you build your piece in the basement and then now you take it out of the basement and suddenly it's subjected to a much higher humidity level someplace else. That would be the only issue, but I don't really think that's an issue as far as that's really kind of grasping at straws there. Uh, so when it comes to the dehumidifier, it's a great option for so many different reasons. And uh, I, I definitely have been totally toying with that idea. Now, Shannon, do you, do you run a dehumidifier out in your garage shop? I do not. <clears throat> do not. I have a hydrometer so that I know what the humidity is. But no, I don't try to control it at all. Now, I do have a window AC unit, okay. which by its very nature, just injecting that uh, cold, dry air will dry things out. And I can watch the hydrometer fall. But no, no, it's not something that I'm trying to control because... It just it'd be something else running, and frankly, something else that I would shut off every time I hit record on the camera and forget to turn back on. Just another thing. Yeah, well, and depending on the dehumidifier you might have, if it's like one of those little roll around ones, then uh, if you don't have it hooked up where you can drain it into uh, a floor drain or something, then you got to stop every so often and, and remove it. You know, dump the the water and then come back. And I am horrible about that. I either forget to do it or I spill it all over the floor, which is a whole other. Other thing. No, Mark, obviously, I think that's a, a kind of a dumb question in your area. You, you don't have to worry about a dehumidifier, do you? What is this humidity thing you speak of? <laughs> Never well, heard of you it. were a little boy uh, in Jersey. Oh, um, yes, I remember. <laughs> summers in New Jersey. Right. Uh, yeah, you know, we do have very humid seasons, but it's short-lived toward right. the end of summer. Um, so, yes, it can wreak havoc on things if you're not careful. But it's so like it's here and gone. It's just not worth doing anything about other than sitting inside and letting the air conditioner sort of dehumidify the space. There you um, go. Other than yeah. that. No. Well, I, I think for myself, you know, Kevin, maybe uh, w- one thing that I have done and I, I did this. I mentioned this actually in, in the tall dresser build is I'm at that point where I have a feel for the wood movement that's typically typically going to happen not only in my shop but throughout the rest of the house. So that's often why when I was doing the reveals around the uh, the dresser drawers, the one thing I did is I made them a little bit gappier at the time because it was more of a uh, pre-humid months uh, kind of weather outside and then also the way it was set up in my in my house with the humidity level. So after a while, you just kind of get a feel for – the usual type of wood movement, what to expect in there. Uh, so that's one of the ways that I handle my wood movement without having to introduce other tools such as a dehumidifier in there. Mm-hmm. Now, regarding the humidity sensor, um, much like Shannon, what was that fancy word you used? A hydrogrometer? Hydrometer. That one too. I actually have a ther- thermometer like in my hydrogrometer. shop. Hydrogrometer. Yeah, uh, I happen to. I have a thermometer that I picked up for like $2 from the local home center. I have that hanging on a wall in my shop, and I will just once in a while glance at that and go, I wonder what that percentage means. 
because I don't really know. But I, I will actually keep a, a little note here and there just in case I, I do get curious once in a while to see how much of a fluctuation there is in it. But I don't really stick too much to it. I mean, I don't. I don't know. It just I look at it out of curiosity more than anything else. Did you ever? Um, were you guys ever tempted to make one of those little? Um, I don't even know what you would call them, but it serves the same purpose as some sort of a, a very shop-made humidity meter, where you actually have a piece that's attached to a backer board, and then you can kind of show the width at different times of year. So yes. you, oh, yeah. right, you mark where it is every month as you go, and then all year long you can kind of take a look at it, see where you're at on the scale, and know. And of course, it's only going to depend on that particular cut and species you're using. But let's say you work with something a lot, you can see where that wood is at that particular time of year and anticipate what it's going to do for the rest of the year. Yeah, I actually had two of those. I had one out in my garage. I had one in the basement. It was pine and cherry, and I had both. Uh, both species in both locations. And then the funny thing is, it's really kind of funny if you think about it. Um, apparently, I was making something and I needed a scrap. And uh, <laughs> oh, this turns is out perfect. <laughs> that scrap that had some writing on it that I didn't pay attention to <laughs> ended up getting used in a project. So Classic, I, Matt. Yeah, so I, th- I figured I could start over or I can just go, nah, we'll figure it out later on. <laughs> now, while you had it, did you find it useful? Did it, did it work pretty well? Yeah, actually, I tracked it for six months, and it was amazing how little it actually moved. I was really, really shocked, <laughs> to be quite honest with you. It was I only a half inch wide. I don't understand what was going yeah, on. Yeah, what's going on here? This is not moving at all. <laughs> See, I, I go at this from a different perspective. I have a moisture meter, and I, I take readings a lot throughout the year of various species, and I've just gotten a feel, like Matt was saying earlier, you kind of get a feel for how much things move. I've gotten a feel for what the moisture percentage does in my shop pairing that with a hydrometer i know kind of where i am throughout the year um right now uh, i'm not in the shop now but i'd be willing to bet it's probably sitting around 62 percent 60 percent something like that just because that's where it usually is this time of year i do moisture meter readings on the wood and i kind of know where that sits and i know where the equilibrium moisture content for my lumber is in the shop And like, as you guys know, I have a shed out in the backyard where I keep the stuff that I'm not working on. When I bring it into the shop, I run the moisture meter over it and I say, okay, well, it's at 12%. Equilibrium for me is about 10 to 11%. So I know it's going to move, you know, not very much, but it's going to move. So then I'm building a project and, you know, I'm, I run the moisture meter over it and I can say, okay, I'm at equilibrium. I'm at 10%. But in the house, you know, the moisture might be a little bit lower or higher. Just kind of having an idea throughout the year what that moisture content is like for the lumber that's in the shop has been more important to me than trying to control the the humidity in the shop or in the house or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's going to move no matter what? So if you know where it is now, in other words, is it going to get fatter or is it going to get thinner? Um, that to me is much more important than trying to control it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you yes. know what? Uh, because this is what we do, I think I might have to correct you, Shannon. A okay. hydrometer is not what you're using. It's a hygrometer. Yes, I knew there was a G in there, like an extra couple of Gs. A hydrometer is a like, right. something we used to use in a lab. You're right. Hygrometer. Yeah. H-Y-G-R-O, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well. Which seems like it would be the right thing to call right. it. Because <laughs> Hydro, are... water. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, exactly. There you go. But it's See? hygrometer. Uh, uh-huh. it's, still, so minus- it's still thickness width and length, though, Mark. Uh, you look, you can't fight the revolution. <laughs> it is what it is. <laughs> uh, all right. I think actually, I think you're up, Shannon. All right. This comes to us from Tim. He says, how oh would you God. suggest cutting? <laughs> what was that? <laughs> you're right, Matt. <laughs> just, problem there, Matt? Oh, my God. I read a comment that was left in my notes and I dropped it on my keyboard when I saw the horrible comment. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, sorry. That was me. Oh, Okay, this is from Tim. He says, how would you suggest cutting the bottom support tenon going into a chair that has two angles affecting it? So compound angle here. We have, we have, we, we have, oh, I guess he's building this with someone else. We have tenons on the rest of the chair cut, but this has stopped us cold. I'm tempted to sink the whole support piece in it instead of trying to create the proper shoulder for the tenon with the two angles taken into account. All right. So first of all, Tim, um, what you're talking about by sinking the entire uh, piece sometimes would be called a housed joint. And that's actually something that the Hall brothers used in green and green furniture a lot to deal with wood movement. If you look at like ultimate bungalows, you look at all the potential cross grain wood movement issues. 
they um they just housed the entire joint so that they wouldn't have to deal with that. I remember um uh Jim Pejian, the Mr. Green and Green at Woodworking in America talking about that. Yeah. So that is a possibility. Just sink the whole dang thing and don't worry about it. All you gotta do is get the mortise right and you don't have to worry about the the tenon shoulder. Um from my perspective though, cutting compound angle anything from the hand tool perspective really doesn't matter. It, all you have to do is capture those angles and lay them out and then saw to the line. Um, if you are obviously, you know, in a, in more of a power tool oriented shop where you've got to be able to uh, dial in the angle on a table saw or a bandsaw table or something like that, it could require a little bit more. But the way I see it, once you capture those angles into a um, what's that thing you called bevel gauge, <laughs> once you capture <laughs> that angle, <laughs> it's a hydrogrometer. Yeah, that thing. I'm telling you, it's Solomonite. It's the the once you've captured that angle, you can then use that bevel gauge to lay out whatever that supporting angle. Because unlike something like say crown molding, you know, or or a, a hopper angle where you've got two boards angled out of the splay and a rake, and you've got to come up with that um, compound angle in between, you're talking not so much about creating some sort of mystical compound angle. You're just talking about creating an angle one way and an angle the other way, an angle across the thickness, an angle across the width of the board. Um, those aren't going to be compound in and of itself. They are just different from one another. So it's just a matter of capturing those. Well, if you've already got the tenons and the mortises figured out on the other parts of the chair and you're trying to, he said the headrest, right? Or something, a, a support going into the chair back. So you already have those angles to find because you've already got the other mortise and tenons set. It's a matter of capturing what those are. And it can be as simple as taking that support, holding it in place, and scribing that angle uh, across the back. If you can figure that out, you know, for me, I would lay it out, you know, in pencil and just saw to the line. Uh, if that's not an option for you, if you don't want to use hand tools, you don't have the hand tools or whatever, uh, grab a couple of bevel gauges and figure out that angle uh, in those two different directions and use that to lay out your um, your power tools. Now, that being said, I still like your idea of housing the joint completely. Uh, I, I don't know exactly what he's saying by bottom support tenon. I don't know if we're talking about a stretcher or like talking we, about a headrest uh, or a, a back flat. I'm sorry? Is that picture would really help. Yeah, he did say see attached picture in this, but I don't know when he submitted this. There was no attached picture. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> okay. The funny thing about that is I just removed the picture because I wasn't playing nice on my iPad. I will go search for it if you want. <laughs> well, regardless, uh, you know, obviously stylistically you can vary from chair to chair. But a lot of times, like if you look at, say, a ladder back chair, um, think of uh, the type of chairs that uh, Brian Boggs makes or um, Jenny Alexander and build a chair from a tree. Those don't have a separate tenon. It is entirely housed. The whole thing goes inside there because a tenon shoulder, it's really hard to get that shoulder to mate perfectly. Um, and if there's any movement in the chair or movement as you know the stress happens on the chair, gaps can open. Um, between that tenon shoulder and the chair back. So most of the time, when you're talking about a stretcher or a back splat or a back slat or whatever, the whole thing is sunk into a mortise so that you don't have to deal with that issue of of the uh, the tenon shoulder. Um, Mark, you're building a chair right now. That's how your slats are done, right? Isn't the yes? And the headrest uh, is there a tenon shoulder there? No, exactly. So <laughs> <laughs> house the whole thing and don't worry about it. Good advice. Hey, I try. I get it every now and then. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, if you want to support the show and you want to keep this nonsense going, you can do that. Just head to woodtalkshow.com. Look over in the right-hand column and you'll see a couple of links uh, for support donations and recurring donations. And uh, you can also pick up a Wood Talk t-shirt at twwstore.com. And if uh, you want to, you can go to iTunes and leave us a review there. Uh, let's see. I think I have it up here. Yeah, just search for Wood Talk in the iTunes store. Click on Ratings and Reviews. And you can leave us a five-star rating, just like Glenn T.H. and Burley Hiker did. Uh, Glenn says, Mark, Shannon, and Matt have evolved this show so that a woodworker can learn something ev- something new in every show, regardless of whether that woodworker favors power tools or hand tools. They let their personalities show that as a listener, I feel like I'm participating in the conversation rather than listening to a podcast. My only negative comment is that they always end the show when I hope there will be just one more segment. Wow. Oh, that was very nice of you. 
Right. Well, because of that suggestion, we do have one more segment. Oh, no, we don't. Nope, never mind. No, I, just, I just like that I finally <laughs> got... Um, I wasn't last on the on the bill there. It was Mark, Shannon, and Matt. Ha ha! Uh, yeah. Usually we're in the order as presented on the show. <laughs> cool. All right, Matt. Well, how about you give them the contact info and we'll get out of here. All right. Hey, folks, do you have a comment, question, maybe a topic suggestion, uh, or maybe you have some kickback that is really with some uh, older uh, topics that we've covered so that we can just go, that's awesome. Thank you for replying. We're going to keep that for ourselves and never give you credit when we come back around to it again. Mm -hmm. Just kind of kidding. There's several different ways to contact us. Leave us a voicemail on Skype. Our username is Online. Call our voicemail line at 623-242-5180. Email us at kickback at woodtalkshow.com, or you can leave us a comment on our Wood Talk Facebook page. And if you're looking for the show notes or downloads from today's show or previous episodes, you're going to find those over at woodtalkshow.com. And as we mentioned at the beginning of the episode, we also have our Amazon links, which you can find over at our websites, along with a few other links. we got some really great stuff. That could potentially help us out, especially me. I really need the money. Just help me out. Uh, anyways, you can find those. Mark is over at thewoodwhisperer.com. Shannon is over at renaissancewoodworker.com. And Matt's over at mattsbasementworkshop.com for all your purchasing needs. Beautiful. All right. We will catch you next time, folks. Thanks for listening. Yeah, Bye. see you around. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.